Good morning, Christ City Church. Today we are back after Easter Sunday in our Sermon on the Mount in our regular series. And today we're in a passage that contains some of the most familiar words of Jesus. Some of the most familiar words, but possibly some of the most misunderstood words, I think, in all that Jesus said, uh, misunderstood in our culture today as people think about these words. For example, have you ever heard someone take Jesus' words in this passage uh, and use them somehow as an excuse, uh, somehow as a justification for their own actions? Hey, don't judge me. Jesus said, don't judge. Only God can judge me. I'm fine doing what I'm doing right now. I remember as a kid, uh, this happening quite a lot. I remember uh, frequently with a group of friends that I had when I was young, where I would hear these words taken out of their context and used almost as an implicit declaration of personal righteousness by my friends. Hey, I'm fine. Don't judge me. I'm okay. It's all right. But to be clear, Excusing someone's sin, excusing your own sin, and avoiding judgment, that's not why Jesus has given us this passage. That's not what it's about. So what is it about? Well, in this passage, Jesus is again driving his words deep into our hearts, teaching us about his greater righteousness, and exposing us under his teaching and his perfect word to reveal what's really going on in our hearts. And what he's doing is exposing our sin and exposing our hypocrisy in the area of judgment and of mercy in our relationship with others. What he wants us to see is this. He wants us to realize that a person who truly loves God and others will rightly, will justly judge themselves and others, but in a way that is saturated, just completely covered and filled with gospel mercy. Let me say that one more time. Jesus is showing us that a person who truly loves God and others will rightly discern or judge themselves and others in a way that is saturated with gospel mercy. So we're going to unpack this this morning in three stages. We're going to look, number one, at righteous discernment, number two, at righteous self-awareness, and then number three, we're going to look at gospel mercy and how it binds everything together. So we'll look at our first point together in verses 7, verses 1 to 2, right away. Righteous discernment. Jesus says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So first I want you to notice this. The word judge does not equal, it does not equal condemn. It doesn't. Even though it's common to equate judge and condemn in our culture, it's not what they, it's not an, an, an equal equation here. It's often I think that we see and we, we feel today that if you've judged me, hey, don't judge me. If you judge me or anything that I've done, you've condemned me. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. That's not what this word means in its context. You see, Jesus uses judge here not as condemnation, but as measurement and evaluation. Not as condemnation, but as measurement and evaluation. And measurement and evaluation, right judgment in this way, is something that the Bible actually is quite full of and is quite positive about. On the one hand, of course, we have Jesus, who will be and, and is the ultimate judge himself. In Matthew 16, verse 27, he says this of himself. He says, For the Son of Man 
It's a phrase he liked to use to describe himself often. But the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Jesus will come and return, and he will measure, and he will evaluate, and he will give, on the basis of that evaluation, either rewards or, yes, it could lead to condemnation. But there's more. That's Jesus on the one hand, but also us in the Bible. Even we, the church, we're called to evaluate one another on the basis of God's righteousness. We're called to exhort and to rebuke and to reprove and to challenge and to correct one another in the church. And then even in extreme cases, we're called to put unrepentant Christians, those that have refused to to hear an exhortation and an encouragement to follow and be faithful to Jesus, we're called to even put them out of Christian fellowship. Now, if that sounds extreme to you and you've never read that before in the Bible, I'd encourage you to do that in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. Now, the second thing I want you to notice here is this. Jesus isn't saying, don't judge, period, that's it. No, his point and his intention is much deeper than that. You see, Jesus says, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So notice here how he singles out the standard of measurement that you use. His concern isn't any measurement of another person's actions, but wrong measurement that stems from a sinful and a self-oriented heart. That's what Jesus is concerned about. You see, Christ City, Jesus knows the heart of us humans very well. He knows it intimately. And he knows that for us, for you and I, it is very, very easy for us to judge others critically, overly critically, unfairly, or in a way that somehow causes us to be compared with them, to make us look good over and against them. He knows the tendency of our sinful hearts. Look, I think we know this. Don't you find that it is far easy, far easier for you to arrive at a critical judgment of someone that you don't like versus someone that you do? Or don't you find that it is easier to arrive at a critical judgment over and against someone that maybe you are in competition with in some way or someone who has crossed you in some way? For me, it's true all the time. I was just talking with my family the other day uh, and with our roommate about how it's so easy for me to come to critical judgments of those uh, even in a shopping market, in the, in the store, uh, because they got in the line ahead of me or something like that. I measure myself against them from a proud and sinful heart and I judge them. And it turns out in those situations, I nearly always come out on top. And I assume and believe that you probably do as well in your sinful judgment of others. It turns out, in our sin, Christ City, you and I are very hard on other people and very generous towards ourselves. In our sin, we're very hard on other people and very generous to ourselves. And Jesus warns us, he says, be careful God so ordains the same criteria of evaluation that you use that it will be used against you. So I want to challenge you, Christ, that you just stop for a minute. Just stop and think. We're here talking about this text and reflect in your own life then. 
How do you judge those that are around you that you interact with on a daily basis? Where is your heart at? Where is your heart at in, in judgment and relationship to your spouse, to your roommates, to your kids, to people that aren't socially uh, isolating and distancing themselves properly? How's your heart towards politicians that you disagree with? What kind of judgment do you use against those in general that you disagree with? With the measure you use, it will be measured against you. You know, honestly, I don't know anything more terrifying than these words. James, when he reflects on Jesus' words, he writes in James chapter 2, verse 13, he writes this. He says, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Alternatively, alternatively, Jesus teaches us to make righteous evaluations in the context of self-awareness. Righteous self-evaluation. Look at our second point in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 to 5. Jesus says this, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is an incredible illustrator. He's an incredible teacher. And I think this is one of those times when his illustration hardly needs any explanation at all. As I was reading it, I was thinking, I wonder if this illustration comes straight from Jesus' experience in, his, uh, in, his, in, in Joseph's carpentry shop when Jesus was a boy. You know, I'm not sure if you've ever experienced a speck of wood in your eye like Jesus is talking about or a piece of sawdust, but it's very, very irritating. I worked for eight years as a carpenter and I experienced this far too frequently. It, was, it just seemed like a, a daily occurrence where you'd have the sawdust in your eye and you couldn't get it out. And occasionally, if it was bad enough, you wound up in that delicate position of, of opening your eye and, and holding it awkwardly open and having somebody else ask you, you know, roll your eye around. Let me see if I can spot the speck. And then they would, they would delicately, and I, I can't believe that you would do this, but you'd allow somebody else to actually take their fingertip and reach into your eye and touch the speck in order to draw it out. <clears throat> Maybe you've experienced something like this yourself. It's really a very delicate and a, and a, and a, a delicate uh, procedure to have someone do that to you. But into this image, into this illustration, Jesus adds something absurd. He says, imagine doing all of that with a six-foot-long two-by-four that was simultaneously stuck in your eye trying to reach in to someone else's eye and remove the speck. Or if you just want to take the log word literally, imagine a giant piece of driftwood that wound up on Kit's Beach and have that in your eye as you try to reach in and remove the speck from someone else's eye. It's not going to go very well. It's not going to work. See, the problem that Jesus is getting at Christ City is this. The problem is that when we judge the people around us, we usually do it from a place of thinking far too generously of ourselves. We do it from a place where we lob judgments at other people with this complete lack of righteous self-awareness of ourselves. We lack awareness of, on the one hand, our own sin and the severity of it and how pervasive it is in our own lives. 
And consequently, because of our lack of awareness of our own sin, we are simultaneously unaware of our need, our desperate need for God's mercy, his compassion, and his grace in our lives each and every day and in that very moment. And that lack of awareness is a very serious matter. In fact, when we behave this way, Jesus says that we are hypocrites. He calls us, his disciples, hypocrites. This is the only time in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus uses the word hypocrite for his disciples in this sort of a scenario. It's the only time. Usually he reserves that word for the Pharisees who have rejected him. But here he applies it to us. Grace City, it turns out that we desperately need righteous self-awareness if we are going to make accurate evaluations and judgments in this world that are simultaneously saturated with gospel mercy. We need to have a self-awareness. And just in case for some reason you don't think that these words apply to you, let me say this. I assure you, I assure you that you think much more highly of yourself than you ought to, that you think much more critically of others than you should, and that you think far too little of God and his justice than you realize. But God can help you. He can help me. He can help us. I want to encourage you to call on him in repentance. God, lead me to repentance. Lead me to self-awareness. Help me to see what's in my eye and to repent and to change. I would encourage you to pray with Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Expose me. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You know, the other day, I was with my three-year-old son in the park. And he looked over at the family across from us and he said, it's kind of a funny situation. He said, Dad, those people have sin in their hearts. And on the one hand, on the one hand, he was right. And those words were evidence that some of the Bible stories that we've been talking about were making their way into his head and, uh, and were landing on him. And that was great, but I didn't know quite what to say in that moment because on the other hand, I knew this. On the other hand, that I knew that those stories had not made their way into Aryan's heart. And the reason I didn't know, the reason I knew that they hadn't made their way into his heart is that I could see that he made that statement as a child that was completely unaware of their own sin, unaware of his own need for God's mercy in his own life. In fact, he said it just like me. He said it just like me, just like the way I do in much of my own judgments against others. So what can help us then from what can help keep us in from hypocritical judgment? And this is our problem. I think we're all like my son, making these judgments in this way. What can protect us in from making hypocritical judgments? What can cause us to make right judgments then that are saturated with mercy? Only the good news about Jesus. Only the good news about Jesus. Without it, we will either, on the one hand, offer no moral judgments of any kind. And you've seen that a lot. What's good for you is, is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. I, I'm not going to judge. Not, you, know, you don't judge me. We're just going to live in that place where there's no judgment of any kind. Without the gospel, either we'll live in that place or, on the other hand, we'll turn into tyrants. 
will become those that offer harsh and critical judgment as we kind of become the God of the universe in our own minds and nobody else measures up to our standard which we have set for them. But with the gospel, we can avoid this. With the gospel, we can offer loving and mercy-saturated correction from a place of humility. With the gospel, we can offer loving and mercy-saturated correction from a place of humility. Why? Well, it's because of this. It's because the good news about Jesus teaches us that, that each of us have sinned. Teaches us that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that we are all sinners in desperate need of mercy. It teaches us that no matter how shiny our lives look, that we have failed to measure up to the righteous standard of God. Paul states this very plainly in Romans chapter 3, verse 11. He says this, None is righteous, no, not one. You see, God created us to reflect his holy and perfect character to those around us as we obey him and love him and know and delight in his love and live that love outward towards others. But we haven't done that. We haven't done that, not in the way that God has called us to perfectly. And the price of our sin is so great that we could never repay it. But God can. He can pay it. This is what makes John chapter 3, verses 16 to 17 so beautiful as this incredible declaration of what God has done for us who are so sinful. I want you to, to hear these words, and I know they're familiar, but hear them fresh. Hear them applied to you, the love of God for you and his mercy towards you, a sinner. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Even God, who rightly judges us as sinners, even God did not send Jesus into this world to condemn us, but... John writes, in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, the gospel teaches that that Jesus takes all the punishment that we deserve, even even though he is God who rightly judges us. And on the other hand, we get the adoring love of the Father for Jesus, his only Son, even though we are the sinners who have offended him. It's the good news of the gospel. Why is that? Well, John 3.16 tells us the reason. It says that all of this is because of God's superabundant and overflowing, incredible love for us. It's It's because of his mercy and his kindness and his grace to those who don't deserve it. You know, an often repeated quote by pastor and writer Timothy Keller, it summarizes this so well. He writes, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So Christ City, if we who are so deeply sinful, if we've been so greatly loved by God, who is the judge of all, how then could we refuse to show mercy and grace and love to fellow sinners who are just like us? Without the gospel, we offer no judgment or harsh judgment. 
But when the gospel penetrates our hearts, when we know this truth of God's mercy against us who are sinners, when we see God's love for us who are sinners despite our sin, then we are enabled to make right judgments. There is a standard of right and wrong, but we make those judgments of ourselves and others that are saturated with gospel mercy and love because we know how greatly we have been loved and how much mercy we have received. Not too long after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus went out and he called a man named Matthew to follow him. This man, Matthew, was someone that the surrounding towns and villages, they would have seen him as this very great sinner who was in league with Rome and anti-Jewish and just uh, this horrific person. And Matthew, this Matthew that the story is about is actually the Matthew who wrote this gospel. And he picks up the story here in Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 to 12. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, in Matthew's house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Do you hear the judgment? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. You see, I think the reality is this. Mercy is a massive theme in Matthew's gospel. I think mercy is a massive theme in Matthew's gospel because Matthew knows the depth of his sin. He knows and he remembers as he tells us this story, how great his need of grace and mercy and forgiveness from Jesus is. He knows it. He writes in light of it. But Christ City, as soon as we forget our great need of Jesus' grace and mercy in our lives, we turn from grace-saturated sinners into hypocritical and judgmental Pharisees who have no idea of their own sin and no concept of their own need for mercy and grace every moment and every day from God. They don't know their need for the good physician to heal their souls. They don't know the love and the joy and the mercy and the forgiveness of a a sinner who's been forgiven. You know, I think that it's no accident that we're in this text today. It's not a mistake. I think God in his providence has us in Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5, right now. You see, this world today is a world that is full of judgment and of criticism and a lack of righteousness. And the reality is that a crisis, like the one we're going through right now, it only makes all of those things worse. So let me challenge you. In light of this text, wrestle with Jesus' words. Spend time asking God to show you the state of your own heart and to fill you again with awe and mercy and with grace. For this reason, so that, so that this week you will stand out from all the judgment, from all the criticism, as you bear witness to the truth and to the righteousness of God with humility. So that this week you will bear witness as a Christian who has received mercy, a sinner who has received grace, and who is eager and willing to extend it to others and to invite others to receive it as well.